0: Hey, sweet listeners. Thanks for tuning in to the NetSuite podcast. I'm your host, Kendall Fisher, and today we're discussing a subject that's top of mind for a lot of businesses right now, the 2021 holiday season. To dive into this important topic, we'll be joined by expert Allison O'Claire, NetSuite's Vice President of Product Management, as well as Drew Cook, the CFO and Head of Operations for Pact. Earth's favorite clothing company. Eau Claire will kick things off by reviewing some of the trends and insights we gained from the 2020 holiday season and how that's evolved over the past year, especially amid labor shortages and transportation challenges. She provides advice for navigating all of that, as well as how to prepare for an increased utilization of omni-channel shopping like buy online, pick up in store, ship from store, ship to store, returns, and more. Then, PACT CFO and Head of Operations Drew Cook will join us to give some real-life insight into what the company faced during the 2020 holiday season, including manufacturing delays and a lack of inventory, and how they're using those lessons to inform their strategy this year. Cook explains how he uses NetSuite to make informed decisions and adapt quickly to the changing business environment, including navigating supply chain disruptions, customer acquisition costs, and consumer trends. I know those probably sound familiar to all of you tuning in, so listen up because he has some advice around that. And he also advises all businesses to figure out a direct-to-consumer strategy, why it's beneficial, and how to stand out amid the competition. That's all coming up next, so stay tuned. You're listening to the NetSuite Podcast, where we discuss what's happening within NetSuite, why we're doing it, and where we're heading in the future. We'll dive into the details about the software and the people at NetSuite who are behind all the moving parts. We'll also feature customer growth stories, discussing the ups and downs of running a company and how one integrated system can help your business continue to scale. First up, NetSuite's Vice President of Product Management, Allison Eau will join us to discuss holiday preparation, the lessons learned from 2020 and what to expect this year. Hi, Allison. Welcome back to the NetSuite podcast. Thanks, Kendall. It's great to be here. You actually previously joined us on this podcast, episode number 48 from August, 2020 for our viewers or for our listeners who may want to go back and check it out. Um, but during that, we actually talked about preparing for the 2020 holiday season, First and foremost, why do we have these conversations around this time of year right now? Why do businesses need to start preparing for the holidays You know, during this time?
1: Well, it's super important to be ready. And this year is no exception. You're still in the midst of a pandemic. It, it's really important to plan ahead so that if you think of things that you need to think about or do a little bit differently, you have time to adapt before holiday.
0: So when we chatted last time, we discussed the impact of COVID-19 on supply chain chains, as well as consumer trends and some of the pain points, um, distributors, retailers, and manufacturers would likely face during last year's holiday season. Uh, what actually ended up happening? What trends and insights do we have from the 2020 holiday season?
1: Well, we definitely saw those supply chain disruptions happen. If you look at what happened last year, we had, you know, factory shutdowns due to people testing positive for COVID. So we had shortages in labor. And on top of that, because some other factories shut down, we had shortages in raw materials. So we definitely saw more constrained supply and the mm-hmm. impact of labor shortages overall. So we didn't ha- always get what we wanted last year. Mm-hmm. And we definitely saw that there was a huge spike in e-commerce shopping that was not unexpected, but that did come to fruition. We saw the spike actually around the shutdown time and it continued all the way through holiday. So a huge shift from uh, shopping in person to more shopping in in the e-commerce.
0: So I'm curious how that's evolved then over you know, the past year. Let's start on the supply chain side of things. Um, How has the situation with supply chains changed for better or for worse since last holiday season?
1: Well, we expect it's going to be the same this year, maybe even worse. So if you look at what's happening recently, uh, we have definitely see that we have still the problem of factories having sort of mini shutdowns there's a new normal. We've kind of figured out how to operate in the, the world of the pandemic, but there are still cases where somebody tests positive sh- disruptions happen just in terms of production. But the big news this year is that we have huge transportation challenges, even more so than last year. So some of your the viewers may have seen that there were reports of the third largest shipping port that's south of Shanghai. It's been shut down since August 11th. So that's having a huge impact on goods getting positioned where they need to be for holiday. Mm-hmm. And so that there's that partial closure. There was another port that closed just prior to that. And then we still have lingering effects from the shutdown of that tanker being stuck in the Suez Canal back in March. So it's like a set of dominoes that's really setting us up for very challenging transportation uh, this year around that's even worse.
0: So then how can businesses navigate all of this? How do they prepare? You know, I mean, the disruptions are here. So like, how do they prepare for this holiday season? How do they prepare to take on even more disruptions? Should they come?
1: Yeah. So of course, have a plan is key, but also be ready to adapt when things change. So if you see those types of situations that you've got a labor shortage and you're figuring, trying to figure out what to do and if. Think about that in advance. What is going to be your plan A? What's going to be your plan B? It's super important to try to think through that as best you can. Um, Same thing for, for transportation, for production. It's really important that you, based on the best knowledge that you have right now, that you think about what your plan is. We also have seen that there's a lot higher shipping costs this year. So one of the things you may want to also think about is any price adjustments that need to be made. Uh, we definitely are seeing a lot of um, merchants pass those sh- sh- uh, additional shipping costs on to customers. So something to think about in advance, but then be ready to change, right? Mm-hmm. Be ready to respond when that disruption happens. When you get new information, something's going to be later than you thought of. What is going to be your plan? You know, How do you proactively then communicate those changes to customers? And you know, there may be a silver lining in all this that the, for people who are um, sourcing onshore, you might be able to capture a little bit more of the market because you have that product ready to go. So, different
0: things to consider. So, are there specific steps businesses can take to really mitigate these risks? Like, is there anything that you would recommend that that they can, you know, put into effect right now uh, as we're looking ahead?
1: Yes, yeah, so I, I would certainly think about um, considering the supply allocation capabilities if you haven't already implemented those, uh, because those will help you respond when you get a disruption. So mm-hmm. the, the supply allocation, which came out a few releases ago, gives you options. Basically, you configure your priorities, and then it gives you some options to execute on those when a disruption happens. And so mm-hmm. if you haven't already looked at that, I would definitely look at that in advance as a tool in your bag to help you adapt.
0: What other ways does NetSuite help businesses kind of, you know, pivot on demand if needed um, when disruptions occur? Yeah, so the supply allocation is a big part
1: of it, but communication is also a really important part of it. So knowing that you you have sort of service plans in place and that you have Mm -hmm. the communication channels open and configured within NetSuite so you can communicate out to your customers when that plan takes place. Communication is key. People know that things happen, particularly now, but being
0: able to tell them what's going on, they, it really helps. Yeah. Yeah. And what about consumer trends? What changes did we see in shopping behavior or, you know, popular product categories, um, last holiday season and what, what should we expect this year? As as I mentioned um, in the introduction, we
1: saw a huge shift to e-commerce last year that started not even just with holiday, but even before holiday when things shut down. And I think one of the things we'll see this year is that shift is here to stay. So people should expect uh, higher than previous years uh, e-commerce as a component of the holiday strategy. But at the same time, we because when we shifted to e-commerce and then stores started to reopen again we saw that driving also an increased utilization of omnichannel shopping people wanted to do buy online pick up in store um, wanted to ship it to home if it wasn't available in the store or ship to store and we saw merchants trying to deal with all that complexity and do things like shipping from store to try to make the best use of their inventory that they can so mm-hmm. we expect that all of these things are going to be as important if not more important this year Uh, as we continue to deal with our new normal.
0: Did you change your shopping habits at all? Just curious.
1: I I did. And I, so I'm full-time working mom of two. And so I was already inclined to (laughs) this omnichannel shopping. Yeah. However, I would say even more so, especially delivery. I changed a lot my behavior around delivery and wanting to get more things delivered and more places let me get delivery. And Mm -hmm. so I'm now hooked. I love getting delivery. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's, it's funny. I was never a shop online person. That just wasn't my, I love trying things on. Um, that was my go-to, but you know, over the past year, I really have become and you know, an online shopper. And then my favorite thing now is like, I've gotten down the, the, um, like the, the return process, being able to just ship my return back in the box with the shipping label that it sent to me in. Like I mm-hmm. I was never that person before I would always like, Oh no, if, if I'm going to make a return, I'm just going to go in store. Now I've even got the, I'm going to mail back this return process down, um, which, which I never thought i would be that person, but here we are in 2021.
1: Um, <laughs> all about the convenience.
0: all about Exactly. Convenience. <laughs> I can just drop it off at my corner FedEx. Yes, please. Um, but how difficult would it be to navigate all of this on the fly and really be able to kind of transform or change your operations in real time like in, in other words why is it critical to consider these things now even if you know we trends change you know come the holiday season And it it takes a little bit of time
1: to adapt. So it's important to think in advance. But the good thing is with NetSuite, it's really easy to configure and turn things on and off so that you can adjust. So if you haven't made omni-channel shopping experiences available, the capabilities are all there. You just need to turn them on. If in the middle of all this, let's say stores shut down again and you you can't um, have people walk in, but you could do curbside pickup or you could ship from your store, you can actually just turn this on, turn this off, shift more volume over here. And so it gives you a different level of agility, but you need to start exploring it now because it takes a little time to understand it, set it up, have it ready so that you have that agility to pivot at that moment when you need to.
0: Right, right. Um, You and I were chatting about a customer, I mean, Henry something, what was it that was able to kind of do this last holiday season, a a toy manufacturer, right? Yeah.
1: Henry bears park. They're actually a
0: local toy retailer in my area. They have a a number of
1: stores and one of them happens to be in the town next to mine. So I go Mm -hmm. there frequently. Uh, And it was, they had set up by online pickup in store and then things shut down, right? Stores had to shut down. And so they said, okay, well, we can't do that anymore. So we're going to turn that off. And then the regulations changed and they could do curbside pickup but they couldn't have people go in the store. So they were able to then turn that back on and direct some of that traffic and fulfill out of their store and utilize that inventory. Then things opened up again and they were able to resume the full store pickup experience of people going into the store. So just by the fact that they had that set up and they had that flexibility of, hey, it's there, I can just turn it on, turn it off, adjust it the way I need to really help them to pivot and adapt in the face of this crazy world that we're living in.
0: Absolutely. And, and speaking of, you know, as more consumers are choosing online ordering, not, not only for the holiday season, but as you said, always, you know, we're, we're we, it's continued to go to increase, but 2020 really um, kind of accelerated that. How can businesses optimize their e-commerce platforms for their customers? I think as we
1: talked about, this omni-channel shopping is here to stay, so it's key to keep optimizing for it. So um, many of us, or many merchants may have started to dip their toes in the, those waters during the pandemic, but it's important to keep thinking about how does that evolve? So for example, you may have started with a you know buy online, pick up in store, but how can you further blend the physical and the digital experience? What's it like when somebody's in your store and they're maybe shopping online while they're in your store at the same time? how do you blend and merge those experiences so that they become one into that end consumer? It just is natural that it all works together and it's one experience, not two different experiences. So thinking about that and expanding options, if you didn't do ship from store, you might wanna think about that as an option and maybe you did buy online pickup in store, but you didn't do like a save the sale yet where you can look up inventory in another store and ship it to them if they don't, if it's not in stock. So thinking about all of the different options and how you might want to evolve that for this year.
0: Do you think the actual meaning of Omnichannel has changed at all since the pandemic? Or is it more kind of like just the expectations have changed? I don't think the meaning
1: itself changed, but the Adoption has accelerated considerably considerably faster than what we thought it would. So uh-huh. because there was such a strong push to ship to e-commerce and because all these constraints of what we could and couldn't do meant that we had to think about alternate fulfillment options, the adoption was much faster. And now that people have a taste of it, they want uh-huh. it Right. Like we were talking
0: about, I got delivery. I want delivery for everything now. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and not even just, not even just the basics, right. It's not even just like, I want delivery or I want, um, you know, buy online, pick up in store. It's also, I want to be able to, you know, buy in store and return whatever way, or I want to be able to buy online and then, you know, do curbside returns. Um, there's so many different kind of, uh, uh, variations of shopping. And I I think even we're going to see even more of that post-holiday season, right. When, when it comes to actual returns and how people are going about, uh, about that time. Absolutely. If you think we'll be in the middle of the
1: winter, like that's a time when, you know, it's possible we are we've got more cases that more people are sick and they want to be able to still engage, but they don't want to go into the store. So we have to have all those options ready and be able to meet the customers where they, where they want to be.
0: One of my favorite new things is, um, I'm actually an avid rent the runway user. Mm. Um, and, uh, so I'm, I, you know, instead of shopping, basically I get my, I get a shipment of four items every single or, um, every two weeks, And one of the things that I love that they're doing right now is they're doing, um, where I just leave my ship, like my returns, I leave them on my front porch and they have a process where somebody comes and picks them up. For me. So they already had made it easy. I I could go to FedEx. I could return it my local Nordstrom. I could do all of that. But now somebody will literally get my package from my doorstep and return it for me, which is the ultimate lazy. I don't actually end up doing that very often because I feel bad. But it is an interesting, I'm like, wow, we are getting real creative in this whole process. Yeah.
1: Um, (laughs) if you're a working mom with two kids who can't get up to drop it at FedEx, that's where I want, where I need to be.
0: There we go Allison and you see this is why we need diversity of thought because I'm sitting here like I'm just a single person with a dog um so that <laughs> I I love that I love that um so you know I kind of want to bring this to to us now and while maybe especially b2c companies aren't necessarily looking to um implement a new system right now in the middle of all of this as they look to their you know busiest next 3 months of uh of their uh the year um, I do want to help businesses who will be thinking ahead and maybe come January, February, who will be thinking about how they can make their processes better, um, and how they really delivered the ultimate omni-channel experience. So how does NetSuite help with this? Not only during the holidays, but at all times. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And there are two sort of key sort of tenants
1: underneath NetSuite that I think are key to creating that omni-channel experience. The, one is having, the first one is having a single unified experience. So if you, you know, have capabilities and no matter where the customer interacts with you, they get the right information, they get the same information, they, they, they don't see those fracture points in the customer experience, that is key. So the fact that you can have a unified system that has all of your operational capabilities and financials, and then use that in any channel you want, whether it's e-commerce or in-store or your CRM, that delivers a different level of service to customers that gives them a truly seamless, frictionless experience. The other aspect is agility. So we talked about the example of having to pivot earlier when you can make a change in one place in NetSuite and then it's reflected in all of your channels and all the different ways that you interact with customers. That is huge. That gives you an ability to pivot much faster and create the type of experience responding to these changes both in supply chain and in the market demands to make that experience that your customers want.
0: Can you give me an example of like a way in which like agility plays role? Like, let's just talk about inventory. Let's talk about returns. Mm -hmm. Somebody comes in with a return. What's, what's a way that that agility could help, you know, increase profitability or at least, you know, help on the profitability sign for a business.
1: Yeah. This is multiple aspects that one is return policy. Let's say you need to pivot and change your return policy well, if you have different systems that you're trying to put together to do that, you've got to make that change in multiple places, make sure it actually works, uh, test it, to. and they, you may not be able to implement the same policy everywhere based on the constraints of those different systems you're putting together. So contrast that with, I can make the change in one place, it's available online, it's available in store, it's available in my warehouse, all the policies are, are enforced. That gives you the ability to make that change you need, for
0: mm-hmm. example
1: a shorter or longer return policy They either optimize for customer service or optimize for profitability. You also then want to get your money from that item that was returned. So right. being able to have an efficient process to then turn that around and say, I'm going to resell this and I don't need to just you know depend on an open box shelf in the store to move this item or a markdown in store because I, this came back late when you can open that world up and say, I can sell it not only in that store, but in to anyone online and in any other store, you create a way to move that inventory and get the most profit out of it that you can, uh, that's difficult to achieve when things are disconnected.
0: Absolutely, great, great example there. Um, can't believe it, but we're already wrapping up here. Anything else you'd wanna share, Allison? I think the general sentiment is just like, don't
1: don't panic. Be prepared, but you still have time, right? Yes, we're coming yeah. up on holiday, but there's still a chance to optimize your processes, to optimize what you're doing in Netsuite, and you know we're here to support you. And so, you know, please, to reach out if if you've got concerns. You know, we're we're here and we have your back.
0: Right, and if you're a prospect, you know, tuning in, you 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 haven't implemented Netsuite or gone the Netsuite route thus far. Listen to this. Think about what you can do better next year and, and give us a ring come uh, come January or February. <laughs> Absolutely. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. It was great to be here.
2: Does your business have trouble managing inventory, projects, or even getting paid on time? Don't let spreadsheets and QuickBooks hold you back. If you want to get your business to a better place, take action now and make the move to NetSuite. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. Ditch the spreadsheets and all the old software you've outgrown. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce and more. Everything you need, all in one place, instantaneously. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in revenue, save time and money with NetSuite. Join the over 24,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com business. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com business. netsuite.com business.
0: Now we'll hear from Drew Cook, the CFO and head of operations for PACT, the leading brand in sustainable and organic clothing and home goods. Hi, Drew. Welcome to the NetSuite podcast.
2: Hi, Kendall. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, we are excited to dive in. Um, I gave our listeners a little bit of insight into the company in the introduction of this episode, but in your own words, what is PACT? PACT.
2: Yeah, uh, thanks for asking. PACT is um, on a mission to create Earth's Favorite Clothing. Um, and the way we do that is we make all our products uh, using GOTS certified organic cotton. Um, and all of our products are made in fair trade factories. And so um, you know, we uh, produce primarily women's products. About 75% of our sales are women's products. Um, and we're sold mostly through our own website, which is um, wearpact.com. Um, and then we also have a wholesale presence. Uh, we're sold nationally in Whole Foods Market, the grocery store. Um, and so, you know, Pact is uh, is a part of a larger movement within apparel to um, to try to be more sustainable and uh, environment environmentally conscious. Um, and we think we're really kind of on the forefront of that with uh, with our certifications and and how comprehensive it is within our product portfolio. So we're not just a collection of organic or fair trade products. It's really Uh, it really covers everything we make. Um, and so we think we, uh, you know, personally, I think we do it the best. And I think we're the most truthful about, about our sustainability. Um, but we're excited to see that there are more people thinking about it and hopefully consumers making purchase decisions to, uh, to try to reflect those values.
0: Now, when you say products, you say, you know, you're 75% women's products. What, what are we talking here? Are we talking t-shirts loungewear? What, what do you guys sell?
2: Yeah. So uh, what we consider basic. So the company was founded as an underwear business. Uh, That's still our bread and butter. Um, But we've found a lot of a lot of success branching into other products. Um, Our leggings are uh, I haven't worn them personally, but um, from everything we hear from our customers, they're amazing. Um, We also make T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers. Um, And so it's pretty comprehensive now, but, um, you know, very kind of specifically within the basic casual comfort space. Absolutely.
0: So, so then I'm curious, how did the events of last year impact business? I know for one, I lived in sweats and purchased sweat outfits, too many, way too many to name, but, um, with all of us kind of with many people, I should say going kind of the work from home round, and then with more and more businesses having this kind of hybrid workforce, um, what did you, what did you see in 2020?
2: Yeah, I would, I would split the impact into two different, um, components i think the first is um, the demand trends we saw from our consumers mm-hmm. um, which like you said um, i think you were not alone in uh in in looking for a more casual comfortable um wardrobe given that a lot of people were not leaving the house too much um, right. and so our e-commerce business really um, saw some strong growth uh, i think importantly it was a time for consumers who had previously been skeptical of e-commerce mm-hmm. to um in some ways they were forced to try it and i think um, consumers can, a lot of them realize how great the experience is. Um, you know, it, it's so easy. You don't have to go uh, to a crowded mall, look for parking. You can really shop from the comfort of your home. Um, and now with kind of the the market expectations around um, ease of returns, I think a lot of the downside risk for consumers was hopefully, um, was hopefully mitigated and addressed. Um, and so for us, the e-commerce business performed really well. Um, we saw significant growth. Um, our whole foods business, um, you know, I, I think we were fortunate that our wholesale business was in a, in a place that didn't really close. Um, mm-hmm. I think brands that were in department stores or, um, other types of brick and mortar locations that, um, that had to physically close, uh, probably struggled a little bit more, but, um, again, it's, it's a small piece of our business, but we were fortunate to be in a grocery environment where there was still some traffic at least. Absolutely. Um, and then, so the demand side was great. Supply side was really challenging. Yeah. Um, and so as you can expect, um, you know, we, ha- we face factory delays and all of our products are made in certified organic and fair trade factories uh, in India. Mm. And India's um, obviously had a pretty rough go with COVID. I think they're, they're starting to bounce back a little bit. But, um, you know, our first and foremost concern is the safety of um, our consumers, but also our, our factory partners. And so, um, you know, we did not cancel any purchase orders. Um, we encouraged them to do what they needed to, even if that meant fully closing, um, to make sure their workers stayed safe. Um, but it, it did definitely impact our business. And so we went through times where we were largely out of product and didn't have much to, to sell to our consumers who were really kind of hungry for it. And so that piece was really tough and, um, the freight component, um, securing space on vessels, which, um, I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more today, but, um, Mm -hmm the supply side overall was, was very challenging. And, um, we definitely were at some all-time lows for inventory levels, just given that demand was sky high and supply was pretty hard.
0: Well, so how did you navigate that? I mean, what, did, like we just actually, we had, um, Alison on uh, before this, our in-house experts on th- all things commerce. Um, but we were talking, you know, about how Businesses need to be more communicative with customers than ever before, especially with some of these shortages and delays. Um, So, what did you guys do? How did you navigate, you know, a shortage of inventory and delays on the manufacturing side and so forth?
2: Yeah, you know, we were really making decisions as um, in real time last year. Nobody planned for the impact that um, that COVID had. Uh, I don't think anybody could have foreseen how long it would have lasted, Um, and so we were really. Um, we were really looking at making decisions kind of as they came. Um, and so, you know, what we did is we tried to, um, you know, we, we value transparency with our consumers, whether it's about how our products are made or what the status of our products are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we told them, you know, we make products in fair trade factories in India. We can't force them to get up to speed and, and, and work and try to crank out products when it's not good for their health. And so, mm-hmm. um, I think our consumers were receptive to that. Um, I also think there was just an overall um, level of understanding from consumers last year, given the disruption about what that meant. So yeah. we didn't necessarily nail every season. So our our fall products that should have launched in um, you know August or September were launching in October, November. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there was the good news is that consumers still kind of had the demand for it. But, um, you know, we did our best to take the, the information we had today um, and, and just make the best decisions possible. I, I don't necessarily think we nailed it, but I do think we were given, given a little bit of, uh, of leeway from our consumers. I,
0: I'm not sure that anyone nailed it. Um, <laughs> so I think no. no one expected, like you said, no one expected how long it was going to last. No one expected, you know, the backups in, in ports, like we're seeing now, no one, I don't think anyone expected the impact that Delta was going to have, um, like it's having this year. And And we'll get into that in a second, but. So going back to 2020, you just said like you were delayed your fall shipment you know, your fall inventory wasn't coming in until October, um, November. So what did you do to prepare for the 2020 holiday season? It's usually for any, you know, retailer, it's usually the biggest time of the year. Um, so what did you expect and how did you plan around that? What steps did you take to really mitigate risk?
2: Yeah, I think the biggest risk we had was um, the timing of when product was coming in. And So if mm-hmm. you get, um, you know, a pair of Santa pajamas that mm-hmm. lands at your warehouse on December 26th, you're in yeah. a little bit of trouble. Yeah. Um, and so we tried to prioritize shipments that had highly seasonal products in them to get them in time for um, for the kind of key seasonal period. And some of our basics like underwear, leggings, which are a little bit more uh, year round that have less seasonal nature, we would... Uh, we would deprioritize those with our factories because we knew that we could probably sell those um, in January or February if we had to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really kind of thinking about what can we control, where can we make priorities and and kind of um, give our, our factories and our freight forward partners, where can we give them some of our um, key goals and how can we align those together to the point where um, we can hopefully get the right products at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, you know, more tactically, because we had shortages, we um, and we also didn't know how consumers were going to behave. Right. We didn't know. Right. Are people going to be traveling for the holidays? Right. Have people been sitting at home buying gifts much earlier in the year? Are people even doing gifts because of the economic uncertainty? And right. so we really tried to be a little bit more cautious with expectations for that specific kind of two to three week period from, um, you know, Thanksgiving, Black Friday through um, a week or so before Christmas. And um so we tried not to put as much pressure on that time Um, uh, mm-hmm. we pulled back a little bit on our digital marketing spend um we didn't go as deep on discounts mm-hmm. just cuz we didn't know what was going to happen and um you know we didn't want to be over investing uh, at a time where consumers might not be responding
0: so i have a couple questions at some for that number 1 were you using any tools to help you kind of make um this type of an analysis and help really guide those decisions
2: yeah, so I think um, we are very data driven, um, mm-hmm. and you know, when managing inventory, we look at um, weeks on hand. And um, we are uh, we are a NetSuite customer, and we a lot of our reporting and um, analysis comes directly out of out of NetSuite. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're monitoring inventory real time. What mm-hmm. is selling? Um, what is not selling? And how do we change either promotional activity or pricing strategy for those products? Because you really mm-hmm. have if you don't have that, that many products to sell, you really need to nail the ones you do. make sure you're delivering sufficient margin to cover up, um, the miss you may have from not having other products. And so, um, you know, we, we rely heavily on the data that we get out of our, out of NetSuite. Um, and then, um, you know, other things we're, we're looking at what's happening within the industry. So what are Mm -hmm. other people doing? We don't think we're the smartest necessarily on any front. Um, and so we take, um, we take a lot of, uh, we're at least paying attention to what other brands are doing and how they're thinking about, um, the holidays. And so, um, I think looking, looking sideways is, is really good. If we just focus on what we're doing, we can absolutely miss trends that are happening in the market. And we have to be aware of what our consumers are seeing, not just from us, but from other brands.
0: Right. Of course. Um, when you say that you're, you know, you're really diving into the data and and doing that type of analysis to see, you know, which products are performing, which aren't making changes. How often are you doing that?
2: Oh, at that point, it's daily, daily, totally. um, especially around um, like there's such a key selling period from Black Friday, Cyber Monday, those four days, um, and then typically it's you know two to three weeks after that, um, leading up to shipping cutoffs before Christmas, um, yeah. and so during those periods, we are looking nonstop at the data um, and really trying to make sure our real time decisions are are made as uh, with as much information as possible.
0: Got it. So what? What actually ended up happening for you, for the company in 2020 during the holiday season?
2: Yeah, we definitely um had a, we had a little bit of trouble meeting our our projections for um, the fourth quarter specifically just because of because of product shortages. Um, right. But what we saw is that because of the strategy um, and projections specifically from a revenue standpoint, I think the um, because we were discounting less because um, we pulled back a little bit on marketing. Um, you know, margin and profitability um, outperformed during that time period, um, but it set us up for an all like, in just an all-time high in January. Um, and yeah. January is typically not um, a key sales period for us, just because it's, or for a lot of other retailers, because you're coming off a holiday. People are honestly a little bit tired of shopping,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and it's oftentimes you're competing with um, with winter clearance sales, yeah. um, and so it's really kind of price led, which is not not a great time to be. Um, making big bets, but um having a lot of new product in January was clear that there was um consumer interest and hunger for um for our products and I think probably products more broadly in the market. That's great.
0: Um so how are you looking towards and planning for the 2021 holiday season? I mean looking back at everything that went down in 2020 and obviously this is a different year and and you know things kind of feel somewhat normal. But then again we have variants like Delta that Are playing a big factor and we still have ports that are backed up. Um, so what are you expecting to see? You know, not, not just pain points, but also growth opportunities. Like is January, do you think January, January will be another big month for you? Yeah, it's,
2: um, it's been interesting. And, you know, we started making decisions, um, for how we would manage 2021 at, at the end of 2020. So as soon as this stuff started to play through, we were thinking about, you know, do we need to rethink our lead times and when we're placing our purchase orders? And so um, we've tried to increase the amount of buffer that we give our factories to get products out. Um, our product, our factories have done a really good job getting um, caught back up. But as mm-hmm. we mentioned, the, the, new issue, the new issue is freight. And so we've got, um, you know, several containers worth of products that are sitting in our factories in India right now, just waiting to find vessel space. Right. Um, and so, you know, you do... A, our kind of big thing is, you know, control what we can. And so if we are able to provide longer lead times, then, you know, right now the feeling is it may not be because of a factory shutdown due to COVID, but we're probably going to need it for something else. And right now it's been freight. Um, and so we've worked to to try to do that, to give longer lead times. Um, and we absolutely rethought what January could look like for us going forward. Um, mm-hmm. I think it, you know, a lot of people hold to launch um, their spring products until February because, January's typically been clearance, but right. we had some really interesting learnings last year. And, um, I think you don't want to assume that anything that's happening right now is necessarily a new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can take half steps towards, um, capitalizing on a situation like that without getting over your skis in terms of assuming January is going to be one of your biggest months every year from going forward. Cause I'm not sure that's the case either.
0: Yeah. Unless Unless you're me. I, I always shop right after the holidays in January. That's like my biggest, I feel like I spend the most in January because I've shopped all year for other people leading up to Christmas. <laughs> Come January, I'm like, time to be selfish. <laughs> it's you time.
2: Yeah. New, yeah. new year, new you. And yeah, exactly. you got to find some time for yourself. The holidays are, um, I think, you know, rightfully so a lot of times about um, others. And sometimes it's fun to put yourself first for a little while.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what will you do differently last year than last year? And what will you do the same?
2: I, I think the biggest thing we did differently is try to provide the times. And so, mm-hmm. you know, last year we were, um, we absolutely missed the season for a lot of our products. And this year mm-hmm. we said, okay, let's take a little bit of the, um, you know, the cash or the capital, um, hit up front to try to ensure that we don't miss that selling time period. And so even though we're facing some delays mostly on the freight side now, um, we're looking at getting products in um you know early November that we would have expected to have in late September. And that's a lot better than um you know so coming sometime after Christmas. And so right. that's probably the biggest thing we've done um differently um on the digital marketing side. I think we're still um inter- interested to see how people how aggressive people are during the actual like holiday sales period so Black Friday through Cyber Monday, for example, um, because so much of the e-commerce, um, you know, volume from the past 18 months stuck in terms of conversion of people from brick and mortar to online. Um, right. So we think people may be doing their shopping earlier. And so you're not necessarily going to see as big of a spike around that key kind of holiday time period as people may have just bought uh, a few weeks or a few months earlier. Um, right. And so I think we're going to continue to be um measured in terms of how we invest in digital marketing during that
0: time. Well, and how are you expecting, like, what are you, what are you planning to see in terms of like customer expectations? You know, we talked about earlier shopping online, making returns um, easier. What are you guys expecting to see?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, everybody's gotten so many different e-commerce experiences over the past 18 months Um, they, they, I think they, I think consumers typically pick and choose brands that do things well, and then they expect Mm -hmm. everybody else to do all of those things. And so, you know, like Amazon made, um, shipping really fast. And so now everybody's expected to have two day shipping, but Mm -hmm. Hey, Zappos did returns really well. They made Mm -hmm. returns so easy for everybody. And so now everybody needs to get the shipping piece like Amazon and the returns piece like Zappos. But also have a unique story to tell online because you're we're a digitally native brand and we're right. organic and um, and so you just have to it feels like the um, the room for error has gotten a lot smaller in terms of consumer mm-hmm. expectations um, and you know we think we're up to up to meeting it but um, but it definitely requires uh, a lot of work to continue thinking about how can you do every aspect of your business better.
0: Right. Especially when you're competing with other, you know, e-commerce brands and, and behemoths like Amazon. Um, but yeah. it, it is interesting you say that. I mean, even me, I I, I just was telling Allison about this in our previous uh, recording, but um, even me, I was a gung-ho. I will never shop online. I like to try on, I'm going to forever be like a brick and mortar shopper. And then I, this year I ended up, you know, buying a lot online. And then my biggest fear was, well, what if it doesn't fit? How do I return it? And I am seeing so many brands, so many companies offer different types of returns, whether it be like happy returns where you drop off at various locations and you literally just like scan it and put it into a bin or whatever it may be. It it is really interesting how, um, how these kind of new things that we're, we're seeing this uh, these innovative kind of strategies around, uh, shipping and returns for sure. Um, are are you implementing anything entirely new? Like, are you trying, like, for example, are you trying a different type of return method or shipping method or anything like that this year?
2: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Happy Returns. So we, we partner with them as well. Um, we've been with them for um, probably six or nine months now. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I, I just think the pace of change in e-commerce is so fast that, um, you know, we didn't necessarily have the ability to like, to see how things worked last holiday and wait to make changes till this holiday. So, you know, we saw over the first six or nine months of, of last year after COVID started, what consumer expectations were around returns. And we implemented happy returns in the first quarter of this year. Wow. Uh, and so that's the type of thing is like, I would say, you know, historically, we've probably been more of a, of a build um, type organization where if we see something, we, we feel like we have the capabilities to build it internally. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the pace of change, I would say more recently, we've tried to identify partners like a happy returns who mm-hmm. who have a very specific component of um, our business that they do incredibly well and probably better right. than we can build. And so and faster. And so we've started partnering with more um, outsource um, you know, tech, technology partners that can help us try to deliver on all the various aspects that consumers are expecting us to nail.
0: Well, and I think that's such an important even lesson for any, you know, business leader who's tuning in right now or a really entrepreneur. I mean, you can only do what you can do, but there what don't fix what isn't broken. If there's somebody that does it, you know, well, really, really well that you can partner with and that fits inherently in your business, then 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 go. Don't make your life a living hell, right? Go for it. Um, so I think that's that's really interesting. Um what sort of data are you using to make, like, what sort of data did you use to make a decision like, oh, we're going to go with happy returns or to fix any of your shipping metho- methods or what have you? What are you looking at um, to as, you, as we head into this time of year?
2: I think we always start with the consumer. And so um, what do they want and how are we delivering on that? And so um, for something like returns, it's, um, you know, how many customer contacts does our CS team have that are related to returns? Or how many customer contacts on average does somebody returning a product with us have? And how can we make that more seamless? Um, and so you look at, I think we start with the customer, look for friction points or places we can do better, um, try to address those. Um, and then I'd be lying, but if I, if I said anything else, but cost is, um, does matter for us. And I'm CFO of our business. And so for me, it's specifically important. So we're always going to look at cost. We're going to look at the amount of time it's going to take to implement. Um, and then really trying to understand kind of what the return on that investment is. And so, um, you know, if we invest in a in a technology partner that costs $10,000, for example, how is that going to impact our consumers? Is it going to uh, result in a higher, purchase, a higher average right. order value? Or is it going to result right. in them being more likely to come back? And so we have a higher retention rate. And so really trying to understand what the long-term either revenue or cost implications are of um, an investment like that.
0: I love that you're talking about this because, um, you know, the role of the CFO and really finance and accounting teams has been evolving over the past couple of years, but that was expedited um, because of COVID. And we talk a lot at NetSuite about how the role of the CFO has become more heavily involved in these kind of big game-changing, uh, business decisions. And it's, you know, hearing you even talk about this and how obviously costs and and everything fits into your actual, the PACS actual business strategy, um, is, is really cool to hear, um, you know, real life examples from, because we've talked to CPAs and we've talked to, you know, um, kind of experts in the industry, but hearing it from a CFO and saying like, these are the decisions I'm involved in. Um, it's, uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's cool to hear that from a real life perspective. Um, from the e-commerce side, what you, you mentioned, you know, you're, you're putting some effort into your digital strategy. You are a digital brand. So what steps are you taking to draw more people to shop with you? And then how will you prepare for, you know, larger volume of online orders should they come?
2: Yeah, I think, um, it, you know, the, the changes that we've seen in the digital environment over the past 18 months have been you know, equally fast paced as, um, as anything else we've seen. And um, with a lot of brick and mortar retailers being forced to figure out digital, First of all, first of all, you have huge competition bidding for the Mm. same eyeballs. Um, Mm. And so costs went up for that reason. Um, And then more recently you have um, Apple's iOS change and the impact on Facebook. And so we're trying to navigate that. How do you um, efficiently and effectively target consumers who, um, who we think would, would like our products. Um, Mm. And so that piece has been definitely one of the bigger challenges that we've tried to face. Um, and so one thing you do is you look for new channels and you start testing into places that you might not have been before. And so whether that's podcast advertising or connected TV like Hulu, um, or, you know, a lot of things are going, you know, reverse. And so direct mail is becoming a big channel again with catalogs and postcards yeah. and things like that. Um, and so you get, you try to get more lines in the water, but do it in a way that's measured where you can see, you know, data-driven analyses that, that tell you this is working, this isn't. These are the type of ads that are working. Um, and so really trying to find the places where you're going to push your chips in. Um, and right. I think, you know, for us historically, it was Facebook and Google. And now we've had to get a little bit more uh, diverse as we look for the right place to go meet consumers.
0: Right. What, what channels are lucrative for you guys?
2: So we still see a lot of success in Facebook um, and Google. Um, we've mm-hmm. made big investments in direct mail recently. Um, and then I think ones that are a little bit more higher funnel or, uh, or podcast, which we've tested into a little bit. Uh, but I would say our bigger bets right now are, uh, around direct mail.
0: Got it. Um, I, and I know I keep asking this sound like I'm <laughs> beating a dead horse or a broken record, I should say. Um, but then what, like what data is informing this, what are you looking at to make sure, like when you are entering these new channels, podcasting, for example, um, to make sure that you are spending the correct amounts, you know, as you just said, customer acquisition costs are increasing across the spectrum, um, especially after, you know, the shift to online last year. Um, so what data are, is kind of driving these des- these decisions between where you're putting your money, how much money you're putting in different channels and so on.
2: Yeah. The nice thing about these channels now is that it's pretty, um, affordable to go test into them. So you don't have to be making, um, you know, hundred thousand dollar commitments to every channel you're going to test. You can get in for, um, for a little bit lower level and get some real learnings. And so, um, you know, we, we try as much as we can to get direct attribution from these channels. Um, but if you run an ad on Facebook or send somebody a postcard or a catalog, or you run a podcast ad, um, you can't ever be a hundred percent sure that a purchase that comes, that doesn't look like it's associated with those didn't actually have some origin from one of those channels. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, we we spend a lot of time thinking about attribution, how we do that. Um, You have to look at some, um, you know, related data that may not be direct, but see if there are correlations that you can draw between, um, you know, specific like an example is podcast advertising. So you take, you can do podcast advertising regionally. And so we're going to run a podcast ad in Texas. And no, we may not be able to see everybody that absolutely converts from there, but we can compare Texas to Oklahoma and see if there is a lift. Um, in Texas beyond what we saw in Oklahoma, and then you can um, you can infer that maybe some of that lift came from the podcast, even though some customers didn't use um, the discount that we offered it in the ad. So mm-hmm. um, the nice thing about most digital um, channels or e-commerce advertising channels is that uh, you get a lot of information, a lot of data, um, and it may not be perfect, but you can typically triangulate uh, to understand the impact of, of specific tactics.
0: Yeah. Now this kind of brings me to one of my final questions around, you guys are obviously heavily direct to consumer. Um, and that that's, you know, that has an impact on the way that, you know, on your go-to-market strategy, um, and everything else that you're doing on the digital side. So for our listeners who are tuning in that are considering a D2C business model, how do they know if it's a good fit for their business? Like what, again, what research or data drove packed to make that decision
2: yeah i'd almost reframe it a little bit and i would say you need to think about justifying whether you want to be a wholesale business because mm. direct is is really i think the um you know the the way of the future um i think yeah uh, having as much information on your consumers and really controlling that relationship especially when we get into a place where um uh, you know the branded environment is getting a lot more crowded there are a lot of people chasing the same consumers um i don't necessarily want to entrust uh, you know, a, a buyer at a department store to tell mm-hmm. my brand story to those consumers and tell them why I'm different and why yeah. they should keep buying from me. And so, um, I just think there's so much value to um, controlling the relationship um, with the consumers and being able to to tailor your message to what you know they they want and and you know how they like to be spoken to in terms of channels and um, and offers and things like that. And so. Um, I honestly think it's um it's hard and again, especially given the shifty e-commerce, I think it's hard to justify not being a digital business these days.
0: Yeah. I mean, and even it beyond like retail. Um, I mean, I just had a conversation with one of our other customers, Red Bay Coffee. They're based out of Oakland, California. And I mean, they before COVID, they they, you know. They had some cafes, they had some coffee shops, and then they shipped their coffee. You know, they they distributed their coffee to different cafes and, and um, grocers, but now they have a booming D2C model and, um, and e-commerce platform. And I just think that's so interesting because I'm, I mean, I'm not an avid coffee drinker, so maybe this is just me, but like, I'm not, I'm not really going <laughs> to a coffee e-commerce site to buy my coffee. Like I'm going to find it in store, but yep. they've seen, I mean, even, even that, like even where I wouldn't assume that would be, you know, a, a profitable way to go. They're seeing huge increases in profits from that, which, which is very interesting. Yeah. Um, it's
2: it's fascinating. The type of, you know, categories that are being flipped upside, upside down by digital that you never expect. And, yeah, um, you know, taking a, a coffee business that's that's gone from you know five percent to fifteen percent uh, online or e-commerce is a lot easier than growing a wholesale business that much. I mean, wholesale right. has a, a fixed footprint by definition, and so you there's only there there get to be caps, and you're um, at the mercy of somebody else's decision making. And so we just find that digital is powerful. I think for apparel, it's probably an easier category to um, to do digitally versus food or beverage or something like right. that, but right. Um, but I think every company needs a significant component of digital, if nothing less, just to build stronger relationships.
0: Yeah. So if you could summarize it, what are the top benefits and the top challenges of a D2C business? Like of if if somebody, you know, has been doing wholesale for a bit and is trying to break in, you know, not likely, but if you had to summarize it for them, what would you say?
2: Yeah, so I'd say first and foremost is the relationship with consumers, direct relationship that we've talked about. Uh, That's powerful. Um, Mm -hmm. It enables you to be much more targeted about um, how you talk to customers and what you show them. Um, I think another big benefit is that um, it's it's just higher margin that you're cutting out a middleman. Um, Mm -hmm. and So there's a real financial impact of going direct. Um, Mm -hmm. In terms of challenges, I think the digital environment is incredibly crowded. And you have to figure Mm -hmm. out a way to stand out and remain relevant. Um, And I I think consumers have so much more choice now than they did before. And we've seen a ton of stats about how loyalty for brands is just dropping off the table because, um, you know, you're willing to try uh, the Mm -hmm. new shoe brand that pops up into your Instagram feed. And that means you're not buying a pair of Nikes for a while. And so um, I think people, consumers are becoming a little bit more finicky in how they choose um, choose brands, which is which is great for an upstart like us where you know, we want um, people to try us and give us a shot because we think we can deliver. Um, and so, you know, I think with, um, with the customer relationships, there are big expectations that come from that. And so um, you really have to deliver um, for consumers and, um, you know, they've got a direct line back to us. And so, um, you know, we hear if we don't do something right, we hear about it.
0: Right. Yeah, that's what my 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 next question was going to be. So how how have how has Pact overcome some of those challenges? How 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 have you guys kind of made a voice and impact in such a crowded space?
2: Yeah, I think um, again, I think everything for us starts the consumer, and so um, we have uh, a customer service team that works. um, You know, we don't outsource it. Um, Our customer service uh, employees are full time, and they have direct lines back to our head of product, to our head of digital marketing, I mean, to our CEO, Mm -hmm. to, um, Mm -hmm. to our, our ops groups talk about how we're doing shipping and fulfillment. Um, and so I think listening to consumers, they'll tell you, uh, consumers aren't typically shy. They'll tell you what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, we think that, um, having a, a frontline customer service team, who's, um, answering questions and hearing feedback, and then providing that as a as a um, as a resource back to the rest of the organization gives us a real time understanding of what we're doing right and what we're not, and that mm-hmm. enables us to adapt pretty quickly. Uh, you can make such fast decisions in the digital environment um, in terms of how you're marketing a product. Like, is the naming confusing? Um, right. Are customers angry about the price? I think it's priced too high. Um, is did they get something in a in a stitch popped, and you need to f- figure that out? So we you just have real time access to. Um, to feedback from consumers that you're able to, um, to make the experience better for every consumer that comes after them.
0: That's great. Such, such great advice in here, Drew, not just for, you know, planning around the holidays and what, what PACT is doing, but really just in, in kind of this D2C world in general and how, and how you guys are doing business. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us.
2: know, I appreciate you having me. It's been fun getting to chat.
0: I mean, if he said it once, he said it about five times during this episode. Cook says PAC's most important consideration is putting the consumer first. Meet them where they want to be and maintain transparent communication, not only during the holiday season and as you're navigating supply chain challenges, but always, especially when you're trying to go D to C. Thank you so much to Alison Claire and Drew Cook for joining us on this episode. For more information, I've left a few links in the description of the episode. And I also want to shout out to our editing crew over at Lampstand and all of you for tuning in. As always, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe. You just listened to the NetSuite podcast. Be sure to tune in every week with more NetSuite developments, stories, and insights into the benefits of one integrated system to help you run your business.